The Commentary Booth is a show for media lovers by media lovers just like you. If you want to support the show, go to pariomagazine.com.au. Welcome to the commentary booth where we watch and you guessed it, commentate on the week that was in movies and TV. I'm your host and play-by-play commentator Jamie Apps and each week I'm joined by a rotating cast of colour commentators to help you find your next viewing treat. This week I'm joined by the founder of video game and pop culture podcast network 8-Bit. Welcome to the show, the hungry gamer himself, Brendan White. Jamie, thank you for having me, good sir. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm excited to talk all things we've been watching because I've got many opinions, some lukewarm, some pretty strong. Brilliant. So for people that might not be aware of who you are and what 8-Bit is, do you want to just give us a a little rundown on what that is? Yeah, sure, sure. So we're um, an independent video game and pop culture-based outlet here in Australia. Uh, We've been doing things now for... Jesus, seven years. So, um, yeah, we've sort of been doing a lot of, of podcasts, a bit of video content here or there when we could be bothered. But primarily we're one of the longest running networks and largest collections of uh, content creators in the sort of ANZ space covering that sort of video game and geek culture niche. So uh, it's, it's good fun. Got a, got a good collection of people I work with, uh, you know, in parallel and we release content every week and, um, you know, sometimes two or three times depending on uh, what's there to talk about or uh, have some strong opinions for. But, uh, yeah, you can check out all our stuff at 8bit.net or uh, if you don't want to do the 8-bit wordplay, you can do videogamesandculture.com as our new uh, new home for everything there. So it's, uh, yeah, any, anything geeky and nerdy and gaming, TV, film, anime, even food related, uh, you can find it all there. Brilliant. And what's the, the big thing recently? I think that would be the... Is it the God of War Ragnarok spoiler cast? Is that the biggest thing on the site at the moment? I, I think so, yeah. So we just dropped a uh, two-hour and 20-minute deep dive on God of War Ragnarok. It was uh, a very, very, very beefy discussion uh, with myself, Jono, and Benny there talking all things Ragnarok and how great it is. So, um, yeah, anyone that's been on the fence about playing or, or getting into that game, I, I know you dropped a, a written review on on, on your uh, feed as well. So if, if you don't want to want to read and instead just want to listen to three guys rant and rave about how great it is, you can check that out on the Hungry Gamers RSS feed or right there on the homepage, yeah, videogamesandculture.com. Yeah, I was, I was blown away by that game because I hadn't played the 2018 version. Oh, really? I was coming in fresh. Wow. And I was, I was still amazed by how good that game was. It's it's very special and it's going to be talked about in such high regard for many, many years to come, I think. What uh, Santa Monica Studios put out uh, a couple of weeks ago now is as close to perfection as you can find in that video game space. So, uh, yeah, anyone that has a PlayStation, you're doing yourself a disservice by not playing that game. Mm-hmm. The hot debate at the moment, God of War Ragnarok or Elden Ring for Game of the Year, where did, where did you fall? I'm I'm falling, you know, luke lukewarm spoilers before we record some stuff with the hungry gamers, but I'm falling in the God of War Ragnarok camp. The like Elden Ring, it's very special and I know it's gonna win a lot of game awards, uh, you know, awards from various outlets all over the world and, and I'm not gonna besmirch that because it's very well deserving, but I don't know, I love 
the more direct storytelling in God of War Ragnarok as opposed to, you know, Elden Ring has a narrative and characters and lore, but it's not as uh, forthcoming with that information. Like the world itself is very special and from software are very talented and skilled at what they do. But for me and what I look for in gaming, God of War sort of uh, leans more into what I'm uh, hungry for. So uh, yeah, Ragnarok for me, but uh, yeah, Elden Ring I think is going to win a lot of awards and rightfully so. Yeah, I, th- I think it's going to be a 50-50 toss-up on which one gets it, depending on who's voting and their own perf- personal preferences. That's it, that's it. But we've been pretty spoiled. Like, we've had a lot of great games drop in 2022 so far. So, uh, yeah, there's a lot of uh, unique uh, gameplay slices for everybody out there. Uh, and then, so on to the sort of main topic for this week. We're exploring a galaxy far, far away as we review the latest Disney Plus Star Wars series, Andor. On a top level, where did you fall with this one? Did you love it? Did you hate it? Somewhere in the middle? I absolutely loved everything about this show. Like, like full disclosure, I had to go back and rewatch the first two episodes when I was first starting to get into it because I didn't give it its full attention Like, because it dropped those first three all in one hit. And I'm like, oh, cool. I'll sink my teeth into this one night. And I was faffing about on my phone and not giving it like oh, no. my full my full uh my full mental bandwidth so i'm like shit what's happening who are these characters what's going on so i went and cycled back and rewatched number two and then since then i've been hooked like this is some of the best star wars content that has ever been made in my opinion especially live action like uh you know some of the clone wars stuff's pretty special as well but this is a home run in every sense of the word, and I am um, hankering for more of this, uh, hopefully in the not-too-distant future. Yeah, I agree. Like, I, I thought this was amazing, and, yeah, like you mentioned, it's not, it's not your typical Star Wars fair where you can kind of just sit there on your phone and pay attention here or there, but, like, this is much deeper in the storytelling, and you have to really focus on this one. It, it starts slow but is ultimately worth the payoff after the 12 episodes. Definitely, like, yeah, just uh, you know, grit and bear those first couple of, like, the first two episodes where it is a lot of heavy world building and, and character introductions and things. But after that, the pace just goes, you know, they're uh, doing the Kessel Run in, you know, maybe like six parsecs after those first two or three episodes. And, and the pacing is just fantastic from there. And um, I'm just enamored with everything about this show at the moment. So, yeah, a little introduction on what the show is for people that may not have checked it out yet. It's a prequel series to the Star Wars Rogue One movie, uh, which is obviously in itself a prequel to the original Star Wars films. Created by Tony Gilroy, follows the journey of Cassian Andor and the moments which ultimately lead him to joining the Rebellion. Set five years before Rogue One, like we said, it's kind of all about him, how he comes to join the Rebellion and become such a crucial member of that group and the ultimate downfall of the Death Star. It's the fourth live-action Star Wars series. Uh, We've had one season so far. It's planned for two and has always been planned for two, which I'm very glad they did that. They didn't kind of create one season and go, we'll see how it goes and maybe we'll get a second season. I'm glad that they have that vision in in mind. I'm I'm very happy about that too. It just gives the show writers enough bandwidth and runway to to tell the story that they they want to tell in its in its um you know in its complete uh fully realized state because yeah there's nothing worse than they go oh like this this could just be a standalone one shot and then they make a ton of money and they're like hey we need more of that and like shit how are we going to get more narrative out of this so it's really cool that uh 
Tony and even his brother Dan, who uh, you know tackle some of the writing in um, in Andor, have got a vision, and they're going to set that out over maybe I guess another twelve episodes after this. So twenty four episodes of Andor esque. Uh, storytelling to, to come and um, yeah I cannot wait I'm, it's just a shame if we're going to have to wait a couple of years before we get the second season so uh, I'm very impatient when it comes to content I need it all and I need it now but it's going to have to uh, bide our time with with a whole host of other Star Wars related things until uh, we get Andor season two ideally we would have got the second season in a year's time but they've only just started filming in London so probably 2024 is more likely yeah, like like it's not it's not like we're we're short on content. Like it's it's almost like you get burnt out at the moment with the amount of amount of film and TV that's just churning. Whether it be you know mainline Star Wars stuff or Marvel or you know things on Netflix that are just popping up left, right, and center. Like whenever short on things to consume, it's just when I get so laser focused on an IP that just grabs me. I just need it all now. But plenty of other distractions between now and uh, yeah twenty twenty four. I'd imagine when we get season two. Yeah, like even Disney Plus, there's so much on just Disney Plus itself, but then you look outside that and you've got the Amazon shows like The Boys and Invincible and then Netflix, you've got all the shows over there and it's like there's so much competition for what am I going to watch now? It's hard to actually watch everything that comes out. It's kind of intimidating. Like, you know, you and I both operate in in the same realm where we're trying to create content on all these new shows and films and video games that are coming out every five seconds it feels like and it's really difficult to stay on top of all the current trends so like it's tough sometimes where you almost feel yourself being forced to watch or play things just to sort of stay relevant but something like Andor, like it certainly wasn't a um a punish for me to watch these 12 episodes like after those first few episodes it just hooked me and i was just along for the ride so uh yeah it's 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 a minor problem to have, I guess. You know, it's it's a bit of a, a gripe that's not a gripe where it's like there's too many things to watch. But uh, yeah, like woe is us, really, right? I'm also super glad that they did extend this out to 12 episodes rather than what we have been getting recently with Disney Plus shows of like six. Mm-hmm. That's been a gripe with mine of mine for the last year or two, where they've been putting out the six episode seasons of shows. It's like this isn't a long enough time to get a a fully fledged story out there. Like I would have hated to see this show condensed down to six episodes. And, and can you imagine like the, the sixth episode was the eye in, in Andor, which was the highest episode, which was just about my favorite episode in this season. And, and imagine if either that episode was compressed to like a fraction of the size or that's where the season ended. Like that'd be yeah a nightmare for, for fans. So it is nice to allow them to, to build this story out and let these moments breathe instead of just going from set piece to set piece. Like there is a lot of talking and a lot of, you know, uh, backdoor dealings going on. Like it's, it's a slower paced show in comparison to some of the other ones on, on Disney plus or in the star Wars world, but it's, it's very different to all that too. And it stands apart um, in the best, best kind of ways. Yeah. It's much more spy espionage, Maybe like a little sprinkling of the Game of Thrones in there as well, which I think is what made this such a compelling watch. You never sort of knew who was good, who was bad, whether they were spies or double agents, which was a very interesting dynamic. I think, and that's the sign of of good storytelling. Like when you can root for both sides, you know, the good the bad and, and then the, the gray area where a lot of these characters operate in when you can be invested in those characters, it's just, yeah, the sign of good content and good media. And 
and yeah, I like that it's very un-Star Wars. Like, there's not a, a Skywalker in sight, and thank God, you know, if we if we can not see another Skywalker for like a decade plus, I'd be very happy. And it's nice that we're sort of telling stories about different areas of this of this universe that um, you know are well worth discovering and and you know getting more of the backstories with some of these characters that lead up to Rogue One, which is just about one of the best star wars films in the entire collection so far like um it's right up there with empire as maybe number two for me um and so it's nice to see all these things and the set pieces that came to be before rogue one and then obviously the original star wars film as well yeah rogue one is my personal favorite star wars film which is i guess probably a bit blasphemous for the original trilogy but yeah i, I loved that movie um and i really enjoyed that this wasn't just your cliched, hey, do you remember this from Star Wars show? Like, I don't recall seeing as a lightsaber in this entire twelve episodes. No, there's there's not one at all, and and that's 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 one thing I love. Like, I'm a fan of whether it be media or just people in general. Like, when they're respecting of of their audience's time, like they're not just going to the low hanging fruit or back to the well. And it's like, yeah, there's a lightsaber or there's a they'll just like force feed in characters or or references just for the sake of getting those cheap pops. So it's nice that it was a bit more of a mature way to tell the story instead of it just going, Oh, look, we got a shoehorn in Darth Vader there, or there's a reference or, or a reference about the force that's shoehorned in as well. Like it's, it's none of that. It's just a straight dramatic, high intensity. Like you said, it's like a spy thriller and it's got the best parts of, yeah, Game of Thrones and House of Cards and all these high drama, high stakes um, television shows and films that are out there where you just never know what's going to come next. And what did you think of the way that it was sort of split up across the 12 episodes? Like it kind of felt like three sort of distinct story arcs that ultimately all work together as one cohesive piece, but you could sit down and watch this in four episode chunks. Yeah, it's certainly... um. It was interesting how they sort of laid out the storytelling where there was obviously um, a, a lot of flashbacks utilised throughout the 12 episodes, giving us backstory on certain characters and, and maybe why they are the way they are or the why the, they despise this group or that group or vice versa. So I liked that we did get a lot of sort of time jump with certain characters. And, and it's funny, like, like we, we ultimately know the outcome of what's, roughly or potentially going to happen with these two seasons because we've got Rogue One, we've got the Star Wars uh, films after that. So we've got a rough idea of where this show might ultimately end up, but there's still so much guesswork and uncertainty, which is kind of crazy to think, even though we know the end result to a degree. So I like that they are jumping around and seeing, you know, um, you know, young Cassian and, and where he's sort of orphaned and, and taken into this sort of... Um, smuggler life really early and it's just embedded in his dna and then sort of seeing uh, you know certain other characters why they maybe maybe hate uh, the empire for this reason or that or then we get other characters where there's still so much sort of secrecy shrouded around their intentions like stellan skarsgård as as luthan like i don't know what's going on here mm-hmm. and like, where's that character ultimately going to take us in season two? Like, he's one of the standouts throughout the, the screen time. Anytime he's on screen, I'm just, like, in awe of his presence and the coolness. Like, the whole space scene where where he's in his ship and he's getting, you know, potentially about to get boarded by the Empire. 
And then it was just like the most metal, like, you know, bro down awesome moment where he gets out of that. And some of like the, the monologues he has, like, and the justification, like he's, he's very much a, an anti-hero type. Like he doesn't fit that, that rebel trope where they're just, you know, good to the core. Like there is some darkness and roughness in him where he's willing to sacrifice people for the end goal, which is something you don't really ever see coming from sort of anyone to do with the rebels. They're all very much cookie cutter, just good and good, honest people where he's sort of in the gray, which I love, love, love. And um, yeah, it just, it just weaves into that storytelling telling effortlessly where we do have these three sort of, yes, yeah, siloed, chunks of the story but it all interconnects and then you see parts come together at the very end and even like um adria arjona who plays bix like you get her right at the start and i'm like you know she's becoming a bit of a name like she she's starting to pop up in a lot of uh you know great and less than great things like uh, like morbius but would you want not talk about that right now but you know she she gets gets some big moments early and then like nothing right until the end, but then they bring her back in, you know, she's going to play a, a major part in season two and they start sort of showing just some of the um, atrocities that the empire will go to, to try and get their man or, or, you know, get their end goal fully realized. And it's just, um, I just liked, yeah, that weaving. I know I've sort of gone off on a tangent as far as the silos of the story, but I like that it at first it doesn't feel like it's all going to tie together, but then by the end of it, it's all in one basket with a nice bow on top. And you're like, man, that was very, very, very intelligent storytelling. Yeah, particularly when we transition from that first little story arc of the heist to then the second arc with the, the prison section. At first, I was like, oh, this is a weird transition. Like, These feel like two totally incongruent stories within the one show, but they ultimately managed to weave it back in and makes sense at the end. You got you got a feel for um for Andor there, right? Like where they've just done the heist and he's he's laying low on some like tropical beach planet, living his best life. It looks like he's got himself a partner and they're just, you know, living the tourist life. And then he gets imprisoned for nothing and his world just completely t- gets turned upside down as he ends up on Narkeena 5, which is this like slave labor prison planet. And it is so like depressing and dread inducing and how they've all got their, you know, their, their day counter. It's like, oh, I've got 2000 more days left until I'm free in air quotes. But um, it's, it's a really big change of pace and shift of tone where it was like, yeah, I'm just going to duck out my love to get some milk and he's walk along the beach. And then like, you're going to jail for six years for doing nothing. Just being in the wrong place at the wrong time. Yeah. And it's, it's really telling, but yeah, it just shifts gears into this, uh, like they've done a heist and now they've got a prison escape going on. Like they're constantly, constantly on the run or you know, just escaping by the skin of their teeth. Um, well, most of the characters, some of them tragically pass away during this, uh, this season, which is, uh, it's probably going to sound dark, but it's kind of good to see heroes actually get slain in a star wars film like for the most part it's always a lot of near death and who just made it out of there luckily and it's always high fives but this is very very grounded and, and realistic like i've never seen that amount of stormtroopers actually hit their target before <laughs> yeah there was these were the good stormtroopers for sure yeah like they did not miss and there is bodies especially in the finale in rick's road there is bodies flying every which way and it's it's intense to watch because it's not just you know, it's not 
um, baby's first Disney anymore. Like it's a very mature story that they're telling and, and the bodies are going and they're getting flown around and it's it's very uh, very emotion-inducing, that's for sure. Even the way they like kill off some characters too, like, yeah, these stormtroopers, they're, they're pinpoint accurate and one-shot kill soldiers, but then like we also get uh, people just die from tragic circumstances, like you mentioned, just in the – at the end of the heist, they're flying away. They think they're scot-free and then there's a, a little shift of some, some cargo and someone just goes out like that. And it's like, oh, wow, this isn't, there's no, no heroic endings for everybody. Like that, that moment in, in the back of that when, yeah, they've narrowly escaped with, you know, 40 million trade credits or whatever. I can't remember the exact number. And then seeing that poor little mate just get completely crushed. And, and I knew like they sort of foreshadowed that a little bit where he's, where he's sort of um, giving some speeches to Cassian and, and sort of uh, trying to let him know of the, the broader stakes at play here. And I'm like, oh, please don't, please don't. But then I knew when you saw him get crushed by this big cachet of money, um, which which was some pretty vivid imagery in, in, in itself, like it was kind of, it was nice to get him to go out on a high point like that. Like he was sort of that beacon of hope for that uh, band of misfits as they were planning that uh, that big heist. But it's still... It hit. That was probably the biggest loss in the in the show for me, as far as from an emotional impact on myself personally. Like it was so so crushing when you saw little little Nemec get crushed, and then Vel gives Cassian um, his manifesto, and then it goes full circle. And he's listening to it in the finale. Like I, I like that there was all these little breadcrumbs and and connective tissues that uh, sort of were were not just throwaways. Like it was referenced and shown on the screen a lot throughout the entirety of those 12 episodes. I thought it was super fitting that he went out being crushed by uh, money as well when his whole like, manifesto has like very sort of socialist uh, underpinnings. Like it's everybody mm-hmm. should be equal. We don't need all this money. Like we need to just look after the, the – we need the bare minimums essentially. And then, yeah, he dies by being crushed by an exorbitant amount of money. Yeah, it was it was heavy and um yeah it really deflated the mood watching that episode like it was like oh my god they've, they've narrowly got out like you saw a lot of guys in, in in that sort of heist team getting gunned down really quickly and then uh and then Skeen tries to do the old double cross and say mate we can get out of here together we can split this money 50 50 and disappear and then Cassian just straight away just guns him down like no remorse and, and no hesitation, which was kind of cool to see those rebel seeds further get planted into him with actions like that. But yeah, um, Nemex loss in, in a huge episode. Like that's the biggest episode for me in the entire 12, but that was sort of the, the, the standout moment amongst many standout moments. And then like some of the other characters, obviously the main one, Diego Luna reprising his role as Cassian Andor from Rogue One. What did you think of his character? I thought, he did a amazing performance again. I, I thought he did a great, great performance. And like the, his portrayal of Cassian, like he, he's very subdued. Like he, he's not high, um, high energy with his, with his vocal delivery, but he's just got this, like, he's only like a smaller guy in stature, but he's just got such a big presence on screen. And the emotion that he can convey through a couple of words or an expression really carries the scenes that he's in. And, yeah, he's he's perfect as Cassian Andor, and and I was curious to know 
if he if he was sort of big enough to carry an entire series, like he's got obviously great a great supporting cast as well. Don't get me wrong, but he's the he's the focal point. Like the show's named after him for God's sakes. <laughs> but he sort of steps into those boots. I wouldn't say effortlessly, but the portrayal he does is very special. And yeah, the the roller coaster of emotions and just the you can see the tear in him where he's like, I could just lay low and disappear forever, but there's this bigger problem. That's, that's starting to become more and more at, that could impact my life and my family and the friends and the people I care about around me. What do I do? And just seeing him sort of start to evolve episode by episode or scene by scene as a leader and a hero, in air quotes, is, is awesome because um, he just assumes whatever role or whatever is required of him and, and he does that in a whole host of ways in the, in this show. But yeah, he was a, he was a standout um from from a lead actor perspective, yeah, Diego Luna, he's a he's a very very talented man. Mm-hmm. And I thought this sh- this show did a great job of like showing that evolution of the character as well to what we do ultimately get in Rogue One, where he's this accomplished spy. Like unknowingly, he's kind of been in this fight against the Empire from his childhood, when they came over and just destroyed his home planet through their mining projects. But then, yeah, we get to watch him go from. I don't want to be involved in the rebellion. I don't want to be a revolutionary to ultimately just being like, I'll do whatever it takes to get these people out of my life. I completely agree. And it's, um, it's nice to see that they didn't just go, yep, he's just jumping in in and embracing this role straight away. Like you can see the internal conflict and him just trying to be blind to all these things. You know, it's not my war. It's not my fight. Just get me my money. I want to get out of here. I've, I've, you know, I've done my job. And things like that when when um at the at the end there where he was sort of talking to Vex and she didn't believe him about screen trying to double cross and you know, he's like, I've I've done my part, this isn't my war and he just wanted to go live a simpler life, but just the gravity of of everything that he's experienced as a kid up until now and even just um you know, having having Marva, his his, you know, um his his adopted mother, uh, who's who's, you know, I guess one of the catalysts to this uprising for the rebels, like having her, her speech uh, broadcast through the town there after her passing, like that was, I think the fuel that, that ultimately stokes this big fire and really sets the, the star Wars that the majority of us all know and, and love into motion. Yeah. It was kind of just, he was basically pummeled into submission to becoming a rebellion fighter. And I thought mm-hmm. it was just amazingly done. And I loved the, uh, like I mentioned, we didn't get a bunch of sort of nostalgia plays, but we did get some little Easter eggs that tied back into the Rogue One movie. Like seemingly every time something bad happens to Cassian, he's looking out over the horizon, whether that's on a beach or on a on a mountaintop somewhere. But like the moment where he finds out that Marva has passed away, that hit me pretty hard where he's standing on the beach looking at the sunset and I was like, oh, that echoes so strongly back to Rogue One, which was crazy. Yeah, yeah. The the, the nods they had, I, I like that they were subtle and they weren't forced. Like it all felt part of the the broader picture here and the the cinematography in, in this show, like on that talking point, like some of the mixture of not only the the CG and green screen work they've done, but some of the, the real life sets and locations they've used were absolutely gorgeous so uh it's it's one of the prettiest 
things in the Star Wars universe I've seen. And um, I'm happy that we didn't get, you know, we get a ton of desert planet based stuff. It was like lush and green. And then we had a lot of, um, a lot of more naturally uh, areas and planets that hadn't really been canvassed too heavily. Like, you know, we stayed far, far away from Tatooine and Hoth <laughs> and all those yep. tropes that they love to sort of uh, go back and retread. But um, yeah, it was nice. They had a lot of, uh, a lot of deep thought perspective based scenes with these wide vistas all the time. But it, um, yeah, I think it really hammered home the, the isolation and the loneliness that not only Cassian feels constantly with this push pull, but a lot of the the main characters were feeling like there's a lot of isolated characters, even though they're all working together or working towards the same thing. There's a lot of people stuck in a lot of singular traps. It feels like. And with that cinematography, like, they also used that to sort of split up these three arcs as well. Like that first arc is on the, the wide open plains and like lush green plains of like looks kind of like a Northern Ireland, I guess, where they were filming. And then we get into the prison arc, which is just white and sterile and mm-hmm. sort of like a hospital. And then we go back to uh, his home planet and it's, yeah, kind of concrete and bricks and just red earthy tones. I was like, that was, I did like that they split it up that way. Yeah, it was, was sort of clear start and end points as far as uh, stories beginning and ending or being put on hold. Uh, but yeah, it certainly made the show feel a little different and fresh. And, and even those, like you mentioned, the, the sterile hospital-like feeling of the uh, the prison planet there, it was just really unsettling, especially for me. Like I hate hospitals and I hate going into them for a whole host of reasons, but seeing it then play out on screen... Um, and, and seeing this Narkina 5, yeah, slave labor prison planet was, was really cool. And it was very Empire, don't get me wrong, but just seeing these poor people just getting beaten into submission every day with this monotonous work and then the the false uh, you know, carrots that they're getting fed about, you know, if you win, you get this or you get some time shortened or, you know, just, just work harder. You get flavor in your food. Yeah, like through yeah, you through your food bloody through food uh, food hose, I should say. Yeah, we just like what a way to live. But um, yeah, I loved it, and and just um, seeing Andy Circus sort of sneak in in that little arc as Kino Loy, like he was one of the highlights of this show for me, and uh, him getting a couple of episodes to really flex his on-screen presence and acting chops was was really nice to see as well. And the end of that sequence is heartbreaking with his character as well when they finally get to escape and they're on this this prison is totally surrounded in the middle of the ocean but he can't swim and i was like oh my god that's so heartbreaking it's like it took him all the whole time that they were there to finally write i'm gonna we're, we're doing this we're getting out this is beyond ridiculous at the moment and then when he finally does he gets out and he's like oh wait i can't yeah it was um it was soul destroying because like he's a character at first and you meet him and, and you kind of hate him because he's, he's a yes man for the empire and he's, he's drinking that Kool-Aid and whatever else. But then you see those layers get stripped back when he starts to accept the truth and, and the fact that no one's ever getting off this planet. And then, yeah, he gets, gets to the point to, to potentially get off that planet. He's like, I can't swim. And he's stuck at the top of this giant tower and, you know, Cassian's trying to potentially help. And then he gets pushed off because all these prisoners are just rushing towards the edge. But I like that we didn't see him die or get captured or whatnot. I think we're going to get more of Kino Loy in the future because 
yeah, you, you can't kill him off off screen like that yeah. for sure. Like I'm, I'm, I'd imagine, you know, if you or I are in that state, and we were beside him, and he said he can't swim, we'd be like, just jump in, and we'll, you know, we'll grab an arm each, and and we'll all swim to shore together. So I'm hoping some other undisclosed character did that and, and we see more of Kino because he was great. And that speech he did over the Empire PA system when he's, he's sort of uh, firing up this uprising was one of the high points of this show. Totally. What did you think of the design of the prison? I thought it was really cool, really unique. Uh, we get that aerial shot at the very end and it's like very much the Galactic Empire logo essentially, but inside the prison as well with the the electrified floors. I thought it was such a well thought out and designed prison. It was, it was very smartly designed and like, like mentioning that electrified floors thing, like they're not, they're not in prison cells with bars. So it sort of uh, conveys that there's like this false sense of freedom where it's like, no, I'm just in my room. It's fine. But then it's like, yeah, you step on the floor and it's electrified, you're dead. So it's like, I like that they sort of play with human emotions there where it's like, I'm free, but I'm not. But yeah, you are in this bleak, white, bland complex that you're never going to get out of. And, and yeah, that sort of aerial shot in that sort of in the prison escape scene, in scene was stunning. And yeah, seeing the the Empire logo done like it was the ultimate just like um, egomaniac type of shot where it's like yeah, the Empire are that high in themselves. They're fashioning buildings on their own logo and paraphernalia <laughs> and whatever else like. Uh, it's it's great, but then you see that little contrast where all the prisoners are escaping, and then you see all the Empire stuff all hiding underneath the door with the light off, like because they don't want to be found. I thought that was a really powerful moment, but yeah, that that building it made me uncomfortable, but in all the right ways. Like I just thought, like if I was stuck in there, that place would just wear on your soul daily. And I guess that was what the intention of that building was to do, and I think it certainly achieve that goal yeah i think it was yeah kind of designed to stop people just of essentially having any sort of three free thought where they just go i'm just going to go through the motions and build these parts that i have no idea what they're for which i loved what they were ultimately for yeah it was uh it was smartly very smartly presented where like throughout that whole time they're building the parts to ultimately create the big old death star and, and we get like the uh the the end like post credit scene of, of this thing and it was gorgeous it was really cool to see the the big death star planet building weapon whatever you want to describe it or define it as coming together out in zero gravity but it was a little bit of a meh post credit stinger for me i'm like yeah. it was a cool scene but i'm like i wanted something more but it still hasn't got me any less hyped for uh for season two that's for sure yeah that was probably the biggest like nostalgia play that they had in the entire show yeah and i guess like you you saying it like that, it makes sense. It's like it gets fans old and new equally as hyped because that that uh, that object, the Death Star, you know, it transcends sort of pop culture. Everybody knows what it is. Like you could show a photo of that to 99% of people on Earth and be like, yeah, I know exactly what that is. So it was a big touchstone to uh, get people hyped for next season. And something else I just thought of with the escape scene, when all the prisoners are swimming away, I loved how that kind of looked like it was an explosion had come out of the side of that prison and it was just like the, the smoke trails coming off it. Yeah, a bit, a bit of uh, foreshadowing to what, what will happen in uh, future Star Wars films, maybe, you reckon? Yeah, like it's just basically, look, this is the start of the Empire crumbling on itself. Yeah, yeah. But uh, 
they're, they're, they're oblivious to the vulnerabilities and everything at this stage. They're all just very, very proud and, and feeling very uh, indestructible, which I like. I like that there's this arrogance with every member of the Empire you meet. They're all just thinking they're untouchable and bigger than Ben-Hur and sort of, like you mentioned, seeing those cracks start to sort of present themselves in various scenes or moments, uh, it's, it's nice touches. Uh, so what did you think of the finale and sort of how sombre and like very much like a funeral it felt while still continuing the, the story that we were being told? I, I think it was um, a perfect ending to this first half of this story they're telling. Like, yeah, it was very uh, reflective, I think, for a lot of characters, both on uh, the Rebels and the Empire side. You're seeing a lot of uh, people question the future for one reason or another or fearful for their life for one reason or another and, and a lot of uh, goodbyes and I guess hellos at the same time, like the ending with seeing Bix and the team sort of um, shoot off in, in the ship and, and escape that sort of war-torn country, but then Cassian sort of, I guess, saying goodbye to his, his life and, and, you know, acknowledging and, and uh, paying his respects to his to his mother and the, and the passing, but also then taking that next step forward with Luthan sort of saying, kill me or take me in and train me really. And uh, it was kind of cool. And, and it was some very, what's the word? Like it was subdued storytelling. Like there wasn't, like there was some big action moments and there was a lot of just great uh, one-on-one talking points with certain characters and, and just uh, seeing the stakes just get raised slightly with each interaction was really cool and it was heartfelt and it was tense and it was exciting and it was gripping it was all of the good adjectives you could think of as far as uh summarizing this finale like it felt like everything uh was leading up to this moment like uh the 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 funeral brought every every character good and bad together to that one planet for this big showdown and all of them getting certain moments, whether it be a a hero-based moment or a goodbye or a redemption story. And yeah, the the Gilroy brothers, like Tony and Dan, putting this together, it felt like it was very expertly crafted and, and having these thrilling moments and, and um, you know, there, there was no punches pulled, I don't think. Like, it was coming at you thick and fast in a whole host of ways, both from an action and an emotional sort of perspective, and I was there for every second of it. What about you, Jamie? I thought the, the like, the funeral procession, that's when it, like, really hit me that, yes, this is a legitimate funeral and it feels like a funeral. And how beautiful was it? Like the whole city shut down and, and the, you know, the streets were just uh, full of people all paying their respects, but also I think waiting for that next penny or I guess bomb to drop, you could say, uh, you know, being a little heavy handed there with that pun. But um, yeah, it was, was really, really beautifully shot and everyone that was involved and, and uh, just not only, I guess, acknowledging the past and the passing, but then looking towards the future with this this uprising, this big old riot. And yeah, like the, the music that they played throughout that, I thought that was perfectly incorporated. Um, I thought that we got like with Luthen, we kind of got the whole gamut of his story in, in this one episode where he comes back to the to Ferrix and you think he's here to like look out and make sure that Andor gets away. But then we, we learn that, no, he's there to kill Andor as well, just so that the, the secrets can't be then drug out of him by the, the Empire. And then in the end, he actually seems to come back and t- 
take Andor in. I thought that was so cool to get his whole story. We got to witness it throughout the 12 episodes, but we also got this really condensed highlights version, essentially, in the final episode as well. It was... um. The one part that was the craziest to me was obviously we had the had the scene with Saul Guerrero there and, and you know Forrest Whitaker doing fantastic on screen and and that interaction with Luthen was great but like obviously they were talking about thirty people it, it's fine it, it's nothing in the the grander picture as far as the the war against the Empire and then that was just references like a cleft note right at the start of that episode where they're like there was there was a, a skirmish here and 30, 30 rebel soldiers have died and it was just like a throwaway like I thought when they had that interaction with Saw and, and Luthen that that was going to be part of the finale maybe that would be part of the the big payoff with another big war scene or a big epic battle but instead it was just a, a nothing line just emphasizing I guess how little some people's lives mean in in this sort of star wars universe like you know 30 people meh just they're just a byline now in this script don't worry moving on moving on like it's always moving forward to the to the grander picture and the grander end goals of the rebels which is yeah it's it's so much darker than just about anything else we've seen in the star wars universe but it's so relatable and even though, yeah, it's in a galaxy far, far away and, and thousands of years, I guess, in the future to where we might be, but, like, it's still on hitting themes and beats that we can all relate to and empathize with and, and put ourselves into all these characters' shoes. Yeah, definitely. And we mentioned sort of Bix. I thought her portrayal in this episode, again, was phenomenal. Like, when when we see her at earlier in the season getting interrogated, the way that she plays that moment, was fantastic but then when we now come to her at the end of the series clearly traumatized and broken by what she's been through wow yeah she is uh she's shattered and yeah adria arjona who plays bix really really great portrayal of the character and and i'm looking forward to seeing i guess her getting slowly put back together in the next season because yeah she only sort of she sort of bookended the series really she within those opening episodes and then at the back end, but there was sort of a, a nothing in between there. But yeah, anytime she was on camera, she was certainly a force and uh, very, very emotional and seeing her and, and, and Cassian reunited as he saves her from sort of that interrogation room or that, you know, that hostage area was uh, a touching moment. And you mentioned the, the bomb drop in this episode. What did you think of that moment and how like the galactic soldier kicking over the droid? That was kind of the the spark that set this all off. It was like him covering up the, the hologram was fine, but when he kicked the droid, everyone was like, no, you don't do that. Yeah, like uh, you could see that that everyone um, in that funeral procession, like, yeah, everyone was on tender hooks. Like the, the nerves were very raw and it didn't feel like it was going to take much to set that off. And, and I really liked that that episode opened up with the, the bomb creating scene and, and sort of showing the intricacies of, of what was going into that. So it was kind of nice that they set that tone early, that this was going to play a major part in this finale. And it certainly did. But yeah, any, any droid abuse, like I think we can all, like it's almost like kicking a puppy, right? And, mm-hmm. and no one likes animal based violence. So I think using that in, in this world really was the nice, um, like match that that started this fire and really set this thing ablaze because uh, yeah any any animal or droid based uh, just like uh, violence in in Star Wars or any science fiction really get gets up my goat and I'd go to war for uh, for that droid that's for sure 
And do you feel like there was other people in that scene that, that knew that bomb was there and was a potential threat? Or do you think it was this one character's sort of, this is how I'm going to do my part in this war rebellion? Yeah. I was thinking that as it was playing out, like I was wondering if this, if this character, this was just their way to try and get back at the empire and, and sort of uh, have, have their name and memory known forever. But I'm wondering if they're going to play out to be a member of the, the rebel Alliance, I guess you could say. So I'm assuming they're probably part of the bigger picture. And, and there was probably a few people in that crowd that were looking to incite this riot and incite this uprising. And yeah, they were all part of this. Maybe they didn't know it was going to go out to that extent, but I feel it wasn't just an isolated incident just with the one person. Yeah. I wasn't sure if like people, other people knew that there was a bomb close to them, like nearby at hand, ready to go. But I can definitely see that there was people there. They were just waiting for what's the moment. And we're just going to try and get these people out of our town, off our planet. Like we've had enough of this. Yeah, it was um, it was really nice to see sort of this this community come together and stand as one. And even though like they had no weapons for the most part, like they were just cannon fodder in this scene. Yet it didn't stop them from fighting and, and standing up for for the people around them and what they believe in. It was it was really powerful stuff actually. Some of the imagery there was um, very very well shot and, and gorgeous and will sort of stand out as highlights. I think in in that Star Wars universe for a while. And you mentioned it being dark too, like where it just like lingers on dead bodies as well after somebody's been shot. I thought that that took it to that extra level of this isn't just your fun, happy-go-lucky, these are cannon fodder Star Wars characters. Like this is someone and they're dead. Yeah, it was It was certainly like, yeah, it's, it's not the traditional Disney Star Wars of old. It was definitely, uh, you know, we're not romanticizing violence. We're not trying to dismiss the brutality of war. They were like, no, nah, here it is. Here's a lifeless body. Here's their face that's, you know, no longer breathing. You know, they didn't shy away from showing these big moments to really, I think, emphasize the the atrocities that the, the Empire are capable of. And then I think to close out, there's like one other major character across the, the 12 episodes, Mon Mothma and her cousin Vel Sartha, both sort of involved in this rebellion without either of them knowing that the other one is involved. I thought that was a really cool dynamic playing out between those two. Yeah, like both both the sisters sort of playing double agents in a way and, and doing what they can to to derail the, the Empire movement. The the two actresses that played both those roles were fantastically cast and they, they portrayed those characters great. And they're sort of both desperate and both trying to find their place in different regards. Like it's kind of heartbreaking to know that that Mon Mothma is pretty much just uh, sacrificing her young daughter for the greater good, mm-hmm. really, you know, introducing her daughter to, to the mob boss's son and, uh, you know, getting into bed with them to to try and help spark this uprising even further. Uh, so it was nice to see. And, and, like, the penny dropped for me, obviously, when uh, she comes back and meets her sister at a home. Like, I had no idea that they were interconnected until that moment. Like, they did the full heist uh, in the the eye episode and then after that yeah she's laying low and, and sees a sister and is sort of trying to play off just their their own respective innocences yet they're both uh, very very well deep into so much espionage and high stakes affairs it was it was a nice little foil to um the, the broader narrative that's for sure yeah it's got me looking forward to the moment where they find out oh you're involved in this what 
Yeah, yeah. It's it's going to be like the the, the the rival Spider-Man pointing sort of meme you see around the internet for sure. But uh, just the cast as a whole were really great. And like you only get fleeting moments with certain cast members, but like anytime just about anybody was on screen, they they absolutely dominated. Like um, Deidre Miro, like played by Denise Goff, I think you pronounce her surname, yep. who's one of the sort of uprising or one of the the young stalwarts in the empire and she's trying to prove herself in a very much a a male dominated uh empire industry for higher management and seeing her just sort of aggressively push and and not sort of uh be persuaded that her ideas and logic is wrong it's it's nice to see her stick to her guns but she's also like she plays the role of just this hard son of a bitch that just will not let it go really really well but like it's a testament to her as an actor as well Another talking point I thought with Mon Mothma was the moment where she picks up her husband from where he was apparently gambling. Mm -hmm. Do you feel that he was actually gambling or is that them knowing that their driver is listening in and spying on them? So this is their way of sort of letting the Empire know that this is where this money has gone? Yeah, I think think there's a little bit of misdirection there. Like like the husband – he feels pretty clueless and he's just like, I don't know what he does for a living, but it feels like she's the breadwinner here being part of a member of parliament and he's just the the trophy husband or whatever we want to call him. And he's just cruising around, going to all these parties and, and you know shaking hands, kissing babies and all that. But I feel there's probably a little bit more strategy in this in this um, marriage that will, will sort of play out in the next season because, yeah, I feel they've got to be tactful, right? Like they can't just be happy-go-lucky and, and just, you know, saying things off the cuff because, yeah, the, it's clear that the driver is uh, on the take and uh, could derail this whole thing if they're not careful. Yeah, and I feel like she's been she's been so much more careful up until that point and a little off-the-cuff line of, oh, we want privacy, isn't sort of enough to make her think, okay, I'm safe now, to sort of start talking about being involved in some crazy espionage, but yeah, she's just kind of like, stop gambling and like this is kind of her idea of like no if you're looking into my finances and there's all all of a sudden all this money missing it's because he's sneaking the money out and gambling it away so there's no need to look any further yeah yeah she's just uh deflecting that spotlight and maybe the husband's going to be a sacrificial lamb who knows like he doesn't seem to add much value to that relationship he was very very uh on the nose in every scene he was in just about but uh got got some early uh obi-wan like Padawan vibes from him in his in his cloak and his little pony like his top knot ponytail and everything. But uh, you know, I don't know. Maybe maybe he's a distant cousin. Who knows? Uh, and then just to close out the episode, a couple of little like fun facts that I found. Uh, on in episode four, the Coruscant spaceport we mentioned, sort of the the cool locations, was filmed at the McLaren Technology Center, so like the headquarters for the the car company in F one. That's kind of cool. Like. Uh, Having watched uh, Drive to Survive, I kind of knew that building quite well. Like they go to there a few times. And in that scene, I looked down, I was like, this building is familiar and I don't know why. <laughs> and then I saw it on Twitter. Somebody put up a side-by-side screenshot. I was like, okay, yep. I, I did cool. know that building for a reason. That's really cool. Uh, and then streaming-wise, this show has been incredibly successful already. According to the stream aggregator Real Good, it was the most watched program across all streaming platforms during the week of September 28th. Okay. Which is promising given that there's two seasons, but then, yeah, also a little bit disappointing that 
or for Disney, I guess, knowing that this has been so successful, but we've limited ourselves to two seasons, particularly because there is this only, only this five year window to tell this story in. Yeah, it's bittersweet knowing that this is going to come to an end after 24 episodes or whatever, but I hope this is just maybe like a, a jumping off point to just get Tony Gilroy more involved in the broader Star Wars universe, like get him, get him out of the, the Rogue One and or subset now and, and maybe let him tell a few other stories because I really, really like what he puts on screen. And I think if they can lock him up long-term and, and keep him as sort of a contracted writer, director, producer, everything else in between, I think it would be very smart for, for Disney and Star Wars to do that because, um, yeah, he's very, very talented behind the camera and just the tone that this show has is so unlike everything else. So if they could build more of this this more realized, realistic, uh, stripped back world, I'd be all for it. So uh, yeah, just back up the Brinks truck and give him whatever he needs to keep him on the books because uh, yeah, I love what he's doing at the moment. Totally. Uh, and then the last little fact I saw was Cassian's pistol or blaster is known as the Briar pistol, which was apparently first introduced in a video game, the Star Wars Dark Forces game in 1995. Uh, and then was brought forward into Star Wars Battlefront in 2015. But this is the first time it has been in a live action series, which I thought was pretty cool. Nice little touchstone for, for us in the nerd culture gaming community. That is cool. And like Star Wars, they love their iconic weapons and spacecraft and things like that. So this will probably go down in history as, as one of those uh, types of weapons moving forward. And um, yeah, I like that they paid a bit of homage to to the the game franchise because there's some great games out there some a little less good but uh there's i think maybe more hits than misses in the star wars gaming universe which is kind of uh rare for film-based stuff to translate to screen and vice versa as well as it does Alrighty, so yeah we're both very high on this highly recommending people check out Andor. Mm -hmm. outside of Andor, is there anything else that you've been watching that you would recommend or anything that you're <sighs> particularly looking forward to I can think of one thing. Yeah, like um, I, I consume far too much anime at the moment. So there's an absolute bucket load of anime either that's just finished up or, or sort of going through its its current rotation. Like we've got season six of My Hero Academia out at the moment. A really cool sort of sports anime that's come out called Blue Lock, which is really interesting. Beast Tame is fun. Uh, your boy Kong Ming, which is a very interesting uh, anime about one of the Chinese warlords getting teleported to present day and trying to like uh, become the tour manager of a budding uh, pop starlet. It's got so much heart Interesting. and it's so bizarre, but it is brilliant. And then there's a ton of other anime. I'm trying to think of other stuff like the new season of Yellowstone's just on at the moment. I'm I'm really really loving the the Dutton story. Uh, the third season of uh, Mythic Quest is on yes. Apple TV Plus, which is also one of my favorites. But um, there's a lot of good stuff. Like I watched Wakanda Forever the other day. Really enjoyed that. Watched Black Adam. Kind of hated Black Adam, but that's, <laughs> you know, neither here nor there. But what about you? What else are you watching? Uh, so I recently watched The Menu. I haven't, I've heard it's really good. It is fantastic. Don't watch the trailer, though. Whatever you do, don't watch the trailer. Oh, see, I watched. Well, I saw the trailer before. Um, I think it was might have been before Wakanda Forever the other day. So I've seen the trailer, <laughs> oh, no. and it seems mad, but I'm all for it. Yeah, the, the trailer gives away a lot, unfortunately. But damn it! 
but still highly recommended it because I'd seen the trailer and still loved it. But um, and I'm also looking forward to I want to dance with somebody. The Whitney Houston movie coming up soon. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Whale that looks phenomenal. Yeah, with Brendan Fraser. Yep, and then obviously the biggest one for us as gaming fans. The Last of Us next year. I, I can't see this bit show being a failure. I think it's going to be very special. The fact that it's getting the HBO treatment and Neil Druckmann's still attached to it, I think it's going to be really great. And um, just seeing the trailer and some of these characters now realised in real life, it looks like it's going to be really special. So, uh, yeah, we don't have to wait long at all for that. That's middle of January. I think it's the 19th or something like that. And um, Yeah, 15th, 16th. Somewhere around there. Either way, middle of January, you yep. know, perfect sort of belated Christmas present. And uh, I forgot to shout out to Chainsaw Man as another fantastic, bizarre, balls-to-the-wall anime that is uh, well worth uh, viewers' and listeners' time. Alrighty, Awesome. Thank you, everyone, for listening to the commentary booth. If you enjoyed the show, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe on podcast services and on YouTube. You can get the episodes early over on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash media. Uh, you can follow me on social media at Jamie Apps Media and at Perio Magazine. And you can follow Brendan on Twitter at Brendan8bit and at WeAre8bit. Thanks for jumping on the show and good luck with everything coming up in the, the end of the year. Really appreciate it, man. And yeah, listeners, do yourselves a favor and get Andor in your eyeballs as soon as you can. It's so great. And uh, yeah, stay safe and stay happy this upcoming holiday season. The Commentary Booth is a fan-funded production of Jamie Apps Media. You can support the podcast alongside our magazine, Pario Magazine, on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Media. The following people supported at the community support group level or higher, and you cannot fathom how incredibly appreciative we are for their support. Brian and June Hart, Blake Robinson, Rena Renee, Courtney Paulson, Darren Hatcliffe, Jackson Carr, and Tracy Apps.